In the last episode, we considered placement for kids who were non-traditionally educated or homeschooled. This time, we take a look at another path to higher education, that of the student athlete, who does have some notable advantages. Today, I'm excited to discuss student athletes and their college process with Janae McCullough-Boyd, founder and CEO of More Than Athletics, LLC. Janae is a married mom of two very intelligent and incredibly talented student athletes. She quickly realized during her oldest son's recruiting process, for him to be able to choose the college that was the best fit for him, they had to be proactive in the academic and recruiting process. Basically, looking for the best fit school takes hustle and grit, which consists of time, effort, education on the process, and a lot of patience for the student athlete and their family. Janae holds a Bachelor of Science and a Master of Science degrees in accounting from Ball State University. Janae worked in the corporate world for over 20 years and has equally volunteered her time to organizations that support the growth of young people and underserved populations. Janae believes education comes in various forms technical, college, and or real-world experiences. She realized at an early age that to have a better life, education was the one vehicle that would expand her life experience. Shanae, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you. So I was hoping you could share just a little bit about kind of what got you into college consulting and, you know, just your background in general. So I started this journey about a year and a half ago, and it started with going through the process of college applications and recruiting with my oldest son, who just now completed his first year of college. And I quickly realized that college athletics, college in general is a business. And so because of my background of being an accountant for the last 20 plus years, that is something that I was like, you know what, I'm just going to lay out a strategy. I went through asking him questions of what he really wanted in a college, what he wanted in the academic environment and the athletic environment. And we just started pulling up our bootstraps and going forward. So then after that process, because I've always been a you know huge proponent of the underserved population, education, I've served on boards here in the community. My husband was like, you know what? You should probably consider doing something like what you did for Jonathan. And I thought he was crazy. And so I started researching, is there something out there and came across educational consultant. I was like, hey, this is really a thing. <laughs> and so ended up going back to school, took a lot of training courses, prayed about it. And in four months time, I left my nice cushy job and launched my company. That's a big leap. Yes. <laughs> I launched a tutoring company by quitting teaching about three years ago. So I know all about that. I had a consultant for musical theater the other day, and he said, Oftentimes, what's important is what the school needs in terms of prototype. So if you think about musical theater, it's like you need all different kinds of people like you need in terms of like the look and, you know, male, baritone, bass is a, you know, soprano, what, what people can kind of do, dancers, you know, you, you wouldn't want 
like all sopranos, for instance. You know, you can't really put on a great play if you know everybody's just singing through the through the roof. So I, I wonder if is that a sort of factor in athletic recruiting, and how how would you sort of deal with that, knowing the complications of? Well, maybe they already have like ten cornerbacks on their roster. <laughs> you know, maybe we skip over that school. How do, how do you deal with that? So what I explain to my student athletes and and parents is it really is a, a meat market. And, you know, you have to meet the specs and that is the physical specs as well as the measurements on, you know, playing on the field as far as your 40, your agility, you know, broad jump, high jump. And so I try to communicate with them not to take it personal because these coaches have a job to do and they have to put together the best team possible. And so they, you know, have their marching orders as well. And so, you know, if you don't fit that particular school, you're going to fit somewhere. It just may not be that school. So just try not to take it personal. Yeah. Just kind of keep your options open. I wanted to circle back around to something. It's just sort of a long sidebar here, but you said something interesting in the very beginning. And you said it's a business. And I think maybe that's a very, you know, relevant comment to what's happening in contemporary college sports, you know, with the big debate over compensating students. I'm curious what your thoughts are about that. Well, that's funny. I get this question all the time now. And so I personally think it is a great thing. I think that these students are making a huge amount of money for their college. You know, I hear the flip side of it is they're getting a free education. That is true. But they are also, you know, working pretty much a full-time plus job along with their academics. And they are really sacrificing their time and their bodies. It takes a lot on them. So it just makes sense for them to be compensated because the schools are getting a huge paycheck. The coaches are getting a huge paycheck and sports are only short-lived and especially the toll it takes on their mind and their body. They be able to walk away with more than just the the degree because they put in a whole lot more work. What makes your consulting practice unique? How would you kind of describe your mission beyond that sort of surface goal of getting kids into school? Well, I would say me personally, each one of the student athletes that I work with and their families are like my own family and taking them from the start to finish as far as educating them. And I think people don't understand that just the college application process and recruiting in general can be a very emotional process. And so talking the student athlete and the families through that process, getting them to understand who they are, because that is the biggest thing I think that athletes face. They're so tied to their identity. And so that's why, you know, my company is called More Than Athletics, because I really want them to focus on things outside of their sport so they can, once that day is closed, once the, you know, the last game day, that they really walk away and know who they are. Totally. I mean, all it takes is one bad play, right? One awkward fall and it's over. Hard to make a career off of these things too, isn't it? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, it's just a small percentage, 
who one, go on to play collegiate sports and then go on to play professionally. And, you know, I think a lot of times we celebrate those who go pro and just forget about the masses. And so, yes, I'm really trying to change that narrative. One, that you don't have to go Division One or a large school to have a fulfilling collegiate athletic career because every coach wants to win. Every school wants to be competitive. And it's demanding at every single level. And so you're going to get that experience, but you have to, one, like the school, because again, if something happens, you're there to get an education because you know the days are short and the timing is short. And so you want to walk away with your education and something lucrative and you know something that you're going to be able to enjoy at the end of the day. What is it like about 1% go on to play pro? Yes, yes. And there's about 7% that go on to play collegiate sports. So, oh, seven. Okay. All right. So, seven and why that's really a pyramid, isn't it? So, it must be tough balancing, I guess, practicality, you know, and pointing out some very relevant statistics and not like crushing a kid's dreams. Because I, I feel like, like you said, their identity is all caught up in it. So, it must be very hard to sort of coach them through that. How do you go about doing that? Yes. And, you know, I don't want to call myself a dream killer, but sometimes, you know, I always have to be realistic and lay out the pros and the cons. And I even do that with my own kids. Like I said, my oldest, he went through it in the midst of COVID. He, high school class of 2021. I'm going through it with my youngest son, who is class of 2023. And so, he is, as far as physicality, very different than my older son. He's still very tenacious and dominant and aggressive, but he is about five or six inches shorter than my oldest son and about 30 pounds lighter. So, you know, those are conversations that I have with students and say, hey, these are your measurements and some you can control and some you can't. So we have to focus on divisions that you fit academically as well as athletically. And we have to just be real about that because not everyone's going to play top tier. Right. Well, that's tough. Yeah. If you don't have those measurables, uh, you're not going to make it in D1, are you? No, not at all. <laughs> Could you maybe describe kind of like the prototypical student athlete that you encounter in your practice like if you had to average them all together like what would what would it kind of look like well i would say first most of my student athletes are football players but i do have some wrestlers and basketball players so since it is football typically my students are male nice teenage boys and they range the gamut as far as the athletic or the academic ability and athletic ability so i have some students who are excelling in the classroom and then i have some that need to work a little bit harder and those students you know i work with them because the huge thing is one get them to graduate two 
get them to be eligible for the NCAA or the NAIA, and then making sure that they're able to get accepted into the college. So it just depends on each student. And then we look at their athletics. So I have some kids who are Division One bound, and some they are playing in another division because one, they're either choosing to because they're choosing their academics because some of them want to be doctors. And so they know that it's going to be hard to balance that at the division one level. And some have chosen to play at a different division just because, you know, it fits them best. So I have a wide range of students. And that's the the key thing that there's no cookie cutter because each student is their own individual. The path may look different, but I think the goal is always the same for them to be happy academically and athletically. Well, I imagine, I mean, even those, you know, if it's a D1 athlete, there's a lot of variety as to what those schools can offer academically, right? I mean, whether they have medical programs or not. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so when I first initially sit down with my students and their families, we go through, you know, their priorities, what they want in a certain college. And I try to do that, really focus on the academic piece, because, again, students who are in a major that fits their natural skill set and their interests and go to a college that is in their learning style, they will succeed and perform, you know, a whole lot better than those who are just there for focusing on their sport or not in the right major. And so, We spend a lot of time doing, you know, surveys and assessments focusing on, you know, just who they are as a person. Okay. Is there a particular assessment that you use? Is it something that you've created or? I use a couple. So Steve Antonoff is like a guru in our profession, the educational consultant. So he has several surveys. And then I also use a survey, just recently started U-Science, and it focuses on your natural abilities. So some of the assessments are really about your, your strength finder, but then some are about your interest as well. But that can be very limited if students haven't been So I like the ones that all focus on their natural abilities. Do you have any stories of success that you could share with us? And what sort of led to that success for that student? So I would say probably my most recent huge success is I had a student. He actually just graduated here a few days ago from high school. And when I started working with him last summer, he was a student who was not eligible for the NCAA. He had several schools looking at him, but he was not eligible. And part of that is, you know, he just wasn't even in the right mindset of becoming eligible. He has some personal things going on in the family. And sometimes when you are not exposed or don't have people that you are close to that have gone to college, you just don't think that it is obtainable for you or you don't know the way to to get there. So his trainer actually had reached out to me and said, hey, I have this kid who was extremely talented, but we have some academic issues. Can you assist? And I said, sure. So started working with him and just 
helping him change his mindset. And that came down to, there were a couple of times where I'm like, you know, you need to go to the library at this time. And he would agree. And I'd, I'd show up, pop up at the library and he wasn't there. So then I'd go to his house and knock on the door and say, hey, yes. And just have the conversation with him of this can change your life. This is a life-changing opportunity. Even had my oldest son come and explain to him, you know, what impact that he could have if he took advantage of this opportunity. And finally, the light bulb went off and he did what he needed to do to excel in the classroom. You know, he became eligible, but he had to work very hard. We had to take some summer classes. So he graduated, like I said, and he is this week headed off to summer camp at his college for football and just a completely different transformational mental state that I'm so proud of him. Wow, that's that's tremendous. And did he get a scholarship there, some sort of scholarship? Absolutely. Absolutely. So, and that, that was the huge thing that he was going to miss out on if he just didn't get his act together. So mm. now you said he wasn't eligible. Did you mean because he didn't have the right credits or wasn't, wasn't on target to graduate or why wasn't he eligible? Well, he didn't have the right credits for the NCAA to be eligible because they focus on 16 core classes. And then you have to have 10 of those classes done before your senior year. So that was another thing. I mean, we were literally like six weeks away from the start of his senior year. And so we were able to find an online resource that is NCAA eligible. They take their credits. And he did. He worked his his tail off last summer and, and he got it done. One thing that stuck out to me in the first segment of my discussion with Janae is her notion that essentially teens should embrace the sort of meat market element of college recruiting for sports. That was a bit unexpected for me. But as she rightly points out, the coaches that are recruiting them have a job to do. They have to win games. And if they don't win games, they're fired and replaced. So embracing that, I think, gives them an edge over other kids. And look, what's the whole point of this process? It's to get into the college that you would like to get into. So if that means training extensively for a broad jump or a 40 or trying to look good in the shorts or the tights or whatever it is they wear on those workouts, that's what it is. It might seem strange, I think, to maybe somebody who lives outside of that world for somebody who's 16, 17 years old to be doing it certainly seems a little odd to me. But that is the world that they live in. And it certainly provides a successful path to higher education. Another thing that stuck out to me was this notion that you have to sort of walk the line between the value of your sport and the pleasure you get out of it and its long-term value to your life. If you're being recruited for division one volleyball, very unlikely that you're gonna end up going pro in volleyball, right? I mean, as much as you enjoy that, as fulfilling as that might be, and as valuable as that might be in getting into college, that's probably not gonna be your career in all likelihood. I think she said something like 1% of college athletes actually end up going on to professional sports. So that's a difficult dynamic because 
you know, a lot of their identity, I think, is wrapped up in that athletic self. So being able to at least begin that conversation about the value of other things, of academics, you know, I think starting early is good. And I think it is a bit of a process and it takes time, but sowing those seeds is critical for those kids. The other thing that stuck out to me is the very personal relationship that she held with her clients. I mean, she mentioned one of her students where it was essentially her role to knock on his door and get him to go to the library to study. And I think, you know, kids need that and they don't necessarily have that sort of mentor figure, somebody who is going to just kind of you know, elbow them in the ribs and, and let them know that they've got to go and take care of business. Because I think that's really all it takes in many cases to inspire and to motivate a kid. And that doesn't necessarily come from the parents. It can't in some cases because the parent-child relationship, as we've said often on this podcast, is loaded with a lot of history necessarily. So finding that person, I think is so absolutely critical and leads to success in many, many cases. When does the process of recruitment begin for these student athletes? And I predict already that you say, well, it varies dramatically, but just take me through like the typical sort of track, obviously with that kid started a little bit later, maybe than others. So I encourage parents to start as soon as possible. I prefer to get students the summer before the ninth grade year, just because before they walk in the door of high school is my preference because of the academic component. Because if we don't get ahead of that very early, we will have situations where we're scrambling to making sure that they're eligible. So, you know, if we can just lay out a path, when my students come to me, we create, you know, a four-year plan of what their academics need to look like to make sure that they're on track to be eligible to play in whatever division that they choose. And so we really hone in on that. And then we start targeting different camps and showcases to make sure that they're targeting the right places to be exposed. That seems very young, I guess, not from an academic standpoint. That I guess that part makes sense to me. But I mean, does a kid know when they're 13 that they're going to go to college to play baseball or you know, football or whatever it is? Seems very young to have that sort of thought. Well, I would say every kid at that age thinks that they're going to go Division One. <laughs> so whether that's realistic or not is the question, but that is always the hope and goal and dream. And so, you know, as they go through their high school career, we start pivoting and changing what the trajectory will look like. You know, is that really what you're going to go is division one, or maybe we need to start targeting division two or NAIA or division three. Or sometimes we have the conversations of, is this really what you want to do going forward? 
because that is also one of the first questions that I have with students when I explain the demands and I ask them, you know, do you have another four years in you to do this? And, you know, most they say, yes, they do. But I constantly check in with them over the process from year to year to gauge where they are, because it changes. You know, I I just recently had a student who, you know, is planning on being a chiropractor and he personally chose his academics over athletics because one, the demands of medical school. And then also he knew that he wanted to go to a particular school because of the prestige. Now he could have played at another division, but because his path is medical school and the school is very well known. I mean, you know, if he went to the undergrad, he would more likely increase his chances to be accepted in medical school. But he had to make those hard decisions this year. And so we talked about, are you ready to walk away? And if you are, are you going to be okay with that long term? And so those are things that that you have to discuss. So you mentioned the academic transcript. I think for younger students, um, as a way of sort of bettering the situation, is there anything else, any other advice you would sort of give to parents or students that are sort of younger, maybe even like middle school or getting ready to go into high school? Like what can they do to sort of better their situation? You know, like I said, the academics, but just exposing them to different colleges, taking them on college tours, getting them job shadowing opportunities. That is one thing that I focused on with my students because, you know, students may think that they want to do one thing. And if they're exposed to it early on, they can say, oh, you know what? I really like that or I don't. So try to focus on things outside of the sport or balance the two is huge. I think a lot of times parents want to pay for training and, you know, they travel all around the country to take their kids to these sporting events and they forget about the balance. But also, you know, just making sure that your kid is emotionally, you know, ready for what's, you know, to come. That is is key as well. So they need that balance to be able to survive whenever they get to that college that they're going to, right? Absolutely. I mean, we're seeing so many student athletes, you know, here recently. I just wrote a blog last week because May was Mental Health Awareness Month. And we're seeing so many students and then student athletes take their own lives because of the pressures. You know, everyone's dealing with the ramifications of COVID. And then you put on top of that the demands of being a collegiate athlete. And so we really need to focus more on, you know, the students' well-roundedness and their mental health. And again, trying to explain that this is a part of you. This sport is a part of you. It is not you. That is the huge key. And I think a lot of times people, students and parents get wrapped up in that. How does the seasonality of the sport play a role in the timing of the commitments? Because it's a very different timing with fall sports versus winter versus spring. And just how that lines up with, with deadlines for applications. Well, 
you know, that is why it's critical to start early. And that's regardless of any sport. And so, you know, like I talked about before they walk in the door of their freshman year, but sophomore year, junior year is critical because by the time they get to their senior year, although, you know, there is some recruiting going on in that fall for football players, it is harder for those in those spring sports. And then it also ranges by division. So a lot of times division one schools have pretty much you know, chosen their class or recruited by your junior year. So if you have not had any contact in your sport by a Division I college your junior year, then more than likely that window of opportunity is closed. Division two, three, and NAIA, their timing is a little bit later. And so if you are in your senior year, that is where your greatest opportunity is. But exposure, you know, early is key in trying to get in front of those schools your sophomore and junior year if division one is your plan now i imagine the coaches you mentioned getting exposure i imagine the coaches play a big role in that process of getting colleges to show up those games and you know what i mean the the recruiting process yes and no i will say some high school coaches are better than others some school systems are better than others but Parents also have to realize that the coaches' jobs are to win games at the high school level. And a lot of times, coaches are on a very limited time. A lot of them are teachers in the school, and they're just trying to do their best to balance it all, too. And then when they have a plethora of kids, it is hard to manage everyone's expectations and everyone's goals and plans. And so that's where an educational consultant comes into play because, you know, high school coaches only have a certain amount of time, just like your high school counselor is usually four or 500 students to one counselor. If you look at a football team, you know, you're looking at a hundred plus kids at different stages, ninth through 12th grade. So I was one of those parents who had the misconception that the high school coach was going to do all of this work to get my son exposed. And it's just not realistic. It is a partnership amongst the family, the student, the high school coach, your trainer that you may have, and then, you know, your consultant if you are going down that route as well, your educational consultant. So what are you able to do? Are you able to contact like college coaches and get them like invite them to games or what what exactly what role do you play in that? So my role is to coach the student athlete. And so I, you know, coach them on how to represent themselves at camps and showcases. I help them with their athletic profile. I help them with targeting which coaches to contact. I have a system that I use where it pulls all of the contact information for college coaches and the student is able 
to email, write directly. That can be tricky, right? Because sometimes they're hard to reach, right? Yes, yes. Making sure that their Twitter is presentable and that they have the correct information. And then, you know, just role playing because it's overwhelming for, you know, a 15, 16, 17 year old kid to approach a coach at a showcase or camp and, you know, have a conversation and really showcase and and sell their talents and abilities. So I go through all of that with my student athletes. Now, do you find that these coaches respond to these, you know, inquiries when the student reaches out to them directly? What what is the response rate on those, would you say? I can't give you a, a percentage, but again, I'm a math person as far as I truly believe the more you do it, the better chance you got. And so some coaches are better than others. Some divisions are better than others. And so a telltale sign is if, you know, that coach has their direct messages open on Twitter, then more than likely when you send them a message, they're going to respond. Some coaches that are not very responsive have their direct messages turned off on Twitter. So it's like you have to hit them up. You know, every communication style, direct message on Twitter, email, pick up the phone and call them. You know, some schools have where you can do tours and you can ask for with your academic visit. If you're, you know, wanting to go into psychology, you can ask to speak to a professor. Well, some will say, do you want to speak to a coach? So it is just a wide range of things that you can do. And my recommendation is try all of them. (laughs) Right. Totally. I think you sort of answered this already. I mean, as far as if an athlete doesn't have a perfect relationship with their high school coach, I mean, I would predict you'd say, well, take it on your own shoulders and don't wait for the coach to do it for you. I would say that, but I will say that your high school coach is very critical because the college coach is going to contact your high school coach if he is very serious about recruiting you. So you definitely need to keep a good relationship with your high school coach because they're going to be able to speak on your behalf. And that's going to hold a lot of weight with that college coach, whatever the high school coach says. So it can be very tricky. And so you still need your high school coach in the realm of it. But also, I would say if you have the opportunity to have a trainer in your sport as well, get recommendations for them, have them advocate for you just as your high school coach would. So have them contact or if you're sending out an athletic profile, have them write up a recommendation and include that in their contact information. Everything that you can do to showcase your skills as far as as a player, a teammate is in your favor. You've alluded to this in talking about showcases, but how should athletes be spending their summers? Well, one, you know, the educational person in me, you need to be reading, number one. (laughs) So that's huge. Yes, yes. So don't forget about the educational piece. But then June is what we call money month, especially in football, because that is where students are spending most of their time going to specific showcases and camps for colleges. And a lot of times that is when colleges will start 
the the offering process. And so they really need to be spending that time going to the right camps, getting exposure. So like my son this month, I think we are going to about eight or nine showcases or camps this summer. Wow. That many. Yeah. And that's typical for most students. All of the students that I work with, we have them mapped out. And so that's really where they need to be spending their time. But, you know, a lot of times schools, their high school has conditioning and things like that for their sport as well. So you want to make sure that you are communicating your schedule to your high school coach, because the last thing you want is your high school coach to think, oh, they're never here. So it's critical to be doing that as well. One thing that stuck out to me in the second segment of my conversation with Janae was the age of these kids that begin sort of getting very serious about their athletic prospects in college. She mentioned, you know, it being good to start the summer before their ninth grade year. Wow, 13 years old. And I mean, she made the point that everyone's going D1 at 13. You know, certainly they're full of big dreams, but it strikes me that that's so early for a kid to determine what the focus of their, really of their young adult life is going to be. You're talking about when you get to college, 18, 19, 20, 21. I mean, those are very formative, critical, foundational years. And the fact that they're going to all these camps, that they're spending all of their summers, they're spending all of their extracurricular time on these sports is inspiring in its focus and also a bit concerning <laughs> that, you know, they're asked and directed and essentially forced into one tracking themselves from such a young age because they have to. If you're going to be recruited in a particular sport, you have to devote your soul to it. So that has costs, but you know, that's what the game is these days in college and it is a very successful route to very good schools. Another thing that stuck out to me was the number of opportunities that are out there when you're talking about D1, D2, D3 schools. I mean, there's many differences that she pointed to in terms of those schools too, but there are thousands, really thousands of places that a student can go, a student athlete, and get not only that athletic experience that they're potentially after, but the educational one. Really, you're leveraging your athletic skills to get the best sort of degree and the best educational experience in many, many, many cases. I mean, D2 and D3 athletes are very likely not going professional in their sport. So it may consume their college experience to a large degree, but really they're leveraging their athletic skills to get into school, which I find to be a very strange dynamic. But I suppose that's the world we live in. You know, I had a couple of kids who are probably among the weaker sort of students in my class go on to Ivy League schools and basically no one south of Ryan Fitzpatrick is going from an Ivy League school to professional sports, but they got into Yale's and Dartmouth's and Brown's, a lot of Brown lacrosse players, just by leveraging their athletic talents, whether it was hockey, lacrosse, football, and it was very young age. I mean, they're committed to these schools by 16. It's really amazing where those athletic talents can lead you 
particularly when it's virtually impossible to get into those schools from an academic perspective. I mean, you have to have everything, perfect scores, and then still get lucky. With football, you got a better shot. So I find it a very interesting dynamic and an intriguing one with two boys myself who are very young and on their way up through the high school chain. Another thing that stuck out to me was the dynamic that happens with high school coaches. And she made the point that, you know, basically they're very busy. And I think that's very much true. I taught in all private schools. Those coaches are teaching or they have roles in the admissions office that are full-time. So their plates are absolutely full. And if you think about the sheer quantity of students that they're also coaching, particularly in the case of like a football, you know, I think it's smart to expect not as much attention as would be ideal in recruiting with college coaches. So I think it's smart to kind of take that on at an early stage as much as possible, you know, from the parental perspective. And the other thing about that too is how to do that, which tends to be a mystery, I think, to parents who haven't gone through this before. She kept on mentioning Twitter, which I found very interesting as the primary channel of communication with those college coaches. So they're communicating with these coaches on Twitter. Although some she mentioned close their Twitter pages so you are not able to communicate with them there. So emailing, calling, every type of communication with those college coaches and being sort of fairly assertive about the attempts to get a hold of them is key. So I don't think that's something that's altogether intuitive to parents going through this for the first time but something to keep in mind that aggressive approach pays off. What would you say is the greatest challenge that athletes face in transitioning to college? Uh, where do you typically sort of see them struggle? And is there any way to mitigate that? So the biggest thing, because I, I polled all of my first year after they complete their first year of college, what has been the, the biggest thing that they struggle with. And every single one of them has said the time and that their life revolves around their sport. And they didn't realize how much it was going to be focused on the time commitment for their sport. And so that was like the number one thing. And then trying to balance the schoolwork, the social and fitting that in. And so I think the biggest thing that student athletes and parents can do to prepare their student athlete in the transition is one, exploring time management, what works best for that student. And then also making sure that once you get to college, you're taking advantage of the resources. Most great programs have their freshmen doing study tables. And so they're checking on their grades and making sure that they're performing to the best of their ability in the classroom. But also, you know, taking advantage of the writing center, any tutoring services that are provided and mapping that out from week to week is huge. Get a paper planner as well as, you know, your electronic one, but write things down. If you can hone in those time management skills before you get to college and just continue and be consistent, I think that is going to help a student athlete fare better. Well, you're sure preaching to the choir there. I mean, that's kind of what our service does to throw a shameless plug in. I mean, we're really, that is what we do. We do exactly what we call executive function 
first thing we do is like get a planning system in place. Um, whether that's a paper planner, I like Google Calendar, but you know, some kids prefer to do it online, which is fine. That to me is everything in the transition to college because it's all independent work, 90%, right? There's some classes where kids will show up to maybe half the classes throughout the semester, come to the midterm and the final and do extremely well, and, and that's it, right? They do well in the class because they're able to manage their time outside of the classroom because they're able to get the reading done, you know, not in 12 hours before the test. <laughs> so, yeah, that's where we see a lot of kids struggle as well. And we get a lot of calls in October, November from panicked students and parents when the kid has sort of belly flopped at that point, realizing, oh, wait, I should have used September to actually read some of this stuff. And now I'm toast. So, yeah, absolutely. Time management. I'm glad you brought that up because that, I think that's like the most critical piece to, to success in college professionally. How has the pandemic impacted that? sort of transition to college for student athletes in particular? Well, I think a lot of it has to do with they've been, you know, sort of locked up for the last couple of years. And now that things are opening, and I think it's been hard for adults, the personal one-on-one contact in person. And so, you know, just those social skills have been dormant. And now it's time for them to dust it off in a new environment. And so that can create a lot of, you know, panic and anxiety. Some students, you know, will transition easier than others because of their personality type. But others, it's been a hard transition. I mean, it's hard to go off in a new environment, you're living with someone you don't know. And so, you know, it's been harder for students, especially, you know, if you're in a team sport environment, maybe not so much, but some of the other sports where you're very individual or smaller teams, it could be a hard transition, but that's where it's critical. Also, when I stress about the student services that are available on college campuses, make sure that you look into mental health services, counseling services that are available to you because, you know, you want to make sure that you get ahead of that before it gets out of control. And sometimes it'll take a conversation just to get you on track. And sometimes, you know, people need it consistently weekly and that's okay. But just making sure that you, you know, keep in check with your mental health is key. Here are a few final thoughts that I had following my discussion with Janae. First of all, I think it's a lot of work and commitment to go through this athletic recruiting process. You're talking about doing that from a very young age. You're talking about really focusing on one sport and you know, there's really not a whole lot of room for other extracurriculars if you wanna do it effectively. I mean, I'm sure there are some tri-varsity athletes who are recruited for football and playing like basketball in the winter out of their sheer athletic sort of prowess. And, but those are the great exceptions, I would say, to the rule. Generally, if you're playing a sport, you're playing that sport and that's what you're doing. She mentioned going to eight or nine showcases this summer. That's your summer. Like You don't really have a whole lot of time and effort to devote to other things. So that's the sacrifice. However, 
it might be the best avenue to getting into a good school that I know of. I've seen it just over and over and over again, where the kid is very much an average student, average in most other ways, but they're incredible at lacrosse or hockey or whatever it is, they can basically pick their school, which is boggling to me, especially considering that they're not going pro, but that's basically the dynamic at play. How much do you want to give up you know, as a teenager to engage in that sport? in a fairly robotic and mechanical sort of way. I mean, it's not necessarily just for the pleasure of the sport, really. I mean, hopefully they get something out of it in terms of enjoyment, but it's really being an automaton in practice and improving your game. How much do you want to give up, though, to get the benefits of being that student athlete, which are enormous? The other thing that stuck out to me about our conversation is the implications once they hit college and what they have to keep in mind in terms of time management. I brought up the example of the kids from Kenyon who were swimmers and their skin basically turned green because they're in the pool all the time. I mean, they're waking up at five, six o'clock in the morning and training year round and all their weekends are devoted to it. It's comprehensive and different than high school where your schedule is sort of baked for you. So it does require, I think, a set of skills that are unfamiliar in many cases in terms of time management, executive function, all of those things. Yes, the team and you know the school the administration typically has those systems in place for those kids, but I would anticipate some transitionary difficulties, I'd say, for most student athletes. Another final thought after our conversation is the impact of the pandemic on the mental health, particularly of student athletes who are tend to be more physical in their orientation, need to sort of get out and move around and have been a bit sort of pooped up. I have to imagine that the end of the pandemic has been a welcome change for them in a number of ways, but even more so than somebody who is potentially a bit more sedentary. Obviously it's impacted the recruiting cycles and ways that have been beyond challenging and with eligibility sort of being extended a year or two, that's brought a lot of challenges. But I think you've got to feel good and have a deep sigh of relief at this point with the pandemic essentially being over. Yes, COVID's still going around in its diminished form, but I think the time to get back out on the playing field and the time to benefit from these pursuits is back. Very much good news for student athletes.